Well, good morning, uh, First Baptist Church, and welcome to all our guests this morning as we live stream. And uh, it is wonderful to welcome uh, to our church family, um, uh, Rachel and Jesse Hughes. Uh, just got married yesterday, and wonderful to be a part of that. Hopefully you caught the, the live stream. And if you didn't, you can bug Lyle for it. And uh, so welcome uh, them and pray for them as they start their new life uh, together. And uh, it's also wonderful to spend time in God's Word, focusing on communion, focusing on Christ, looking up to the Lord. Imagine being at the foot of the cross, and may your heart be found at the foot of the cross. I trust and pray that you have humbled yourself and are looking up to the Lord. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning in our text. And um, we want to finish up this idea of unshakable faith. And we've been looking through that. We are going to continue to read um, through the rest of the summer through the Psalms. Um, and then we'll go back into our text in Peter. But uh, through the summer, we'll be in Psalms, but we're going to look at a different um, theme than just our faith um, and uh, having an unshakable faith. So as we close out this theme, I want to talk about maintaining our faith, maintaining our walk with God, and what are some important things for that, and how do we keep from being shaken? Even though the earth moves and we have earthquakes in our life, we have tsunamis, we have uh, great storms in our life, but yet we can still be unshaken because of our Lord and Savior. And so this morning, we want to look at Psalm 123. Would you Honor God by opening up your word and, and maybe even standing where you're at and, and reading this with us this morning. Real easy, four verses, and then we're going to talk about each one of them. It says in Psalm 123, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of your servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God, till his mercy is upon us. Has mercy, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the song that is here, the prayer that is here, and the cry for help that is here. And Lord, I pray that our heart would be lifted up beyond our circumstances and it would be fully engulfed with your glory. And Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. May we bound uh, in your, be a found, bounding in your joy and just loving you and just rejoice together. We thank you and we praise you for your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a wonderful psalm. Again, a song of ascent. Um, and as this song of ascent is wonderful as it's looking up to the Lord. It has gone beyond the hills, 
the hills in Psalm 121, that the author is looking to the hills, where does my help come from? And now to the author of this psalm who's looking beyond the hills and to the heavens. Behind me here is the picture. It's in Jordan looking towards uh, Jerusalem at this wonderful, uh, picturesque, ideal uh, situation. You think about this psalm and the fact that we have the psalmist is praising God for his faith, faith that he can have because of who the Lord is. And he talks about maintaining that faith. And so this really piggybacks upon what Pastor Ralph taught us last week from God's word from about trust and about faith. And so we want to piggyback on that as we close out um, this idea of faith uh, this morning. And then it goes on to the next section in this psalm is about mercy. So it's a praise of faith and talking about faith, and then it goes to mercy. It's about, it's about a psalm of eyes. Now, if you can imagine the circumstance surrounding the psalm, and most, um, most theologians and most people who have studied God's word in the Hebrew text for a long period of time believe that the psalm was written about the time that the the Israelites were uh, coming back. The circumstances surrounding it, they would have been in Babylon. They, they were in captivity, and now they've come back. And you can imagine their feeling and their emotion as they've left uh, this imprisonment in this culture, this country that they did not know. And they've now traveled back to Israel, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're seeing these hills. They, they recognize them from uh, either if they're young, they've recognized them from hearing from their, their, um, their relatives over those uh, 400 plus years that they were in captivity. Now they're hearing about this great city of God, Jerusalem, and they're on their way there. So now you have not only this going through, but now you have Ezra and Nehemiah that is challenging Israel. Ezra is proclaiming God's word. He's standing before them at the Temple Mount, reading God's word to them, and then explaining God's word. That's preaching. That's what we're doing this morning. And they're falling in love again with God's word. And Nehemiah is helping them to, to rebuild the temple, rebuild the uh, Jerusalem, and they're finding new joy and new hope. They're cleansing everything, getting rid of all the filth, and they're looking to the Lord. That's what's surrounding this psalm. What an amazing time as they not only are rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the holy city of Jerusalem, but they're rebuilding their worship and their focus on God and his word. This psalm is a psalm of vision, a psalm of the eyes. Eyes is used four times in a row in the first couple of verses. It's a psalm of faith. The eyes, the eyes are a window to the soul. They reveal the soul. The eyes reveal the spiritual condition of the heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The eyes reveal the desire, the longing, the lust, and the pride of people's life. In fact, did you know how important eyes are? Did you know that the eyes are quite unique? And I believe God's creation of the eye speaks to the way he uses the word. My eyes look up to the Lord. Eyes of a servant looking towards the hand of the master. And so I, 
I want to share with you a couple of these things. It says, each of our eyes has a small blind spot. You know that? Right in the back of the eye, there's a small blind spot. But in both eyes working together, it helps to negate the blind spot. There's a hole. But working together, that should sound familiar. We need the Lord to work together in our lives to reveal our blind spots. Also, out of all the muscles in the body, the muscle of the eye that controls our eyes is the most active muscle in your body. Did you realize that? Not only that, but you'll, you see things upside down. Many of you understand that, know that. And it's your brain that turns the image the right way up. Ask you a question, does God's word, is it the brain in your life? Or are you letting the world control your eyesight? Because if you think God's word seems upside down, you need to let God become your trust, be your brain, so it flips everything right side up. Did you know 80% of your memories are determined by what you see? Be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? You remember that old nursery rhyme? We need to remember that what we see actually becomes 80% of our memories. That's why it's Nice to see these videos because you're going to remember more that way. Seeing is much a part of so much a part of everyday life that it requires about half the brain to get involved. Did you know that for you to see it requires half your brain to be working? So we at least know that at least most of us are using half our brain. Now think about that one. How about this? Eyes are able to process three uh, thirty-six thousand pieces of information in a single hour. That's better than any supercomputer there is known uh, to man. Can you imagine all of the things, uh, complexities that go th on in through our eyes? It's crazy. While it takes some time for the most part of the body to warm up to their full potential, your eyes are always on their A game. They're on 24-7. Did you know that? Even though your eyes are closed, your eyes are still on. That's why most of us, it's really hard for us to sleep with light on because it's it's retaining that information. By the way, eyes heal quickly. With proper care, it only takes about 48 hours for the eye to repair a corneal scratch. That's why um, it's really easy now from my from understanding some of this, it's easy to do eye surgery because it, it corrects itself pretty quickly. It repairs, it heals. I, I say that just to let you know that one of the neat things is as the psalmist tells us to, that he lifts his eyes up to the Lord because when we look to the Lord, the Lord is able to repair so much of our life. It's a very beautiful thought to think about what God's word does. By the way, there are very few words that are used more than the word eyes in the Old Testament. Did you know in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for eyes is used uh, over 900 times? 900 times that the God uses this word in our text. And Jesus, not only, uh, not only is it 900 times in our text, but we see that Jesus shares the importance of this word vision or the word eyes. Uh, it's uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew. We see that he talks about the eyes make you, if it makes you stumble, tear it out. Our eyes are that important. Or in uh, continued on, he goes, the eyes are a lamp uh, for the body. The eyes reveal things. They're a lamp. 
figuratively, when he's talking about people judging one another, he says, uh, hey, he talks about the speck that's in your eye and about the log that's in your own eye. You know, don't focus on somebody else's speck when we have to deal with our own log. The things that we need to deal with in our eyes are really important so we don't judge one another. Jesus speaks figuratively of uh, the envious eye, and he talks about the jealous eye in Matthew 20. Uh, how about John, the Apostle John in 1 John 2, verse 11? John uses the eye particularly talking about that darkness has blinded his eyes. We know that sin and the things of the world can darken the eyes of a believer, can darken the eyes of the ungodly as well. This word eyes, optimathos in the Greek and in the Hebrew, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it. It's literally dealing with what we see, but it deals more, it goes into more complexity than just what we see. It's used figuratively to describe the source of our spiritual sight most of the time in the Bible. Not only that, but the eyes are a window to the soul. And it's talking about our spiritual walk with God. In the Hebrew, it would be like this. It, it would be, we would use this word, it seems to be good to him. What he sees seems to be good. Or we would use it this way, what he sees brings knowledge and insight into full view. And so as we look at the context of this psalm, as he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my eyes. And as he brings God into full view, he has a greater understanding and insight into the Lord because he's now gazing upon the Lord. In connection to this word in our text, uh, it talks about the eyes. Uh, Warren Wiersbe talks about the importance of seeing God and he talks about it in connection with God's word. Why God's word is so important because of what we see. And Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, God uses the word to enable us to see the sin and unbelief in our own hearts. The word exposes our heart. God's word exposes our heart. And then if we trust God, the word, God's word, enables our hearts to obey God and to claim his promises. This is why each believer should be diligent to apply himself to hear and heed God's word. In the word, we see God and we also see how God sees us. So there you see this fact that when we are digging into God's word, we see more clearly God is brought into full view and we have a greater understanding of him. And that's why we study his word. So this morning, I want to look at three points that, I, that we see here. The psalm of vision, that, the psalm about our faith. And as we look at this psalm of the eyes, the psalm of vision, we would understand what it will take to maintain our unshakable faith. Point one, and that is, look, looking to the Lord maintains unshakable faith. It maintains our our unshakable faith, looking to the Lord. How can you maintain your faith in during times that are overwhelming and crushing and hard? God never said that we would be spared from hard things, hard decisions, hard areas in our life, ridicule, persecution, suffering. But he did say that we can rely on something stronger than I, and that is the Lord. But that takes a strong look, a gaze to the Lord. Looking up 
to the Lord, a right focus. The psalmist declares his intentions and actions. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the Lord in verse 1. This means that his eyes are not on his circumstances. His eyes are not looking at himself, but his eyes are looking up to the Lord. It is good to have someone, Spurgeon says, he said, to look up to. The psalmist looked so high that he could no longer look any higher. Not to the hills, but to the God of the hills did he look. By remembering where God is, the psalmist grows in his trust and in his confidence. As he looks to the heavens, he's looked beyond the hills. He's looked beyond the Lord. He's looking to the heaven, and God is in heaven, and he's looking beyond the earth, and he's crying for mercy and help. But heaven has plenty of mercy and help. He's looking to God. We see this natural progression in the Psalms of Ascent. If you go to Psalm 120, we see the psalmist lamenting about his surroundings. Can you imagine Israel? They've come back from Babylon. They're rebuilding the city and, and they're working. And, and now they have uh, uh, Tobiah and Sanballat who are ridiculing the Israelites. They're ridiculing, they're persecuting them. They're making fun of them. Nehemiah is having to deal with all of that, all of this persecution. And they felt the ridicule of everyone around them. Maybe you feel the ridicule of the culture. Psalm 120 was the psalmist lamenting about his surroundings. Psalm 121, uh, he, the psalmist lifts his eyes to the hills, and he knows that his help comes from the Lord, not just from the hills, but from the Lord. And Psalm 22, he says, we, he delights in the house of the Lord, talking about the temple. And we talked about delighting in gathering together as a church body. We find so much delight in that. We long for that. But the psalmist didn't stop there. And now in our text, he's looked beyond the hills. He's looked beyond the temple, beyond gathering together, worshiping together. And he's looked straight at God in heaven himself. Think back to the language of Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase verses 1 through 3, it, it says basically, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I mean, gaze, look with your eyes to things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look how he's looked, the gaze that has looked up into the heavens to where Christ and God is. Paul's language of set your minds on thing above and not on the things of earth is reminiscent to our Psalms in Psalm 21. I lift my eyes up, O you who are enthroned in the heaven. Paul also connects this spiritual vision with knowing by setting your minds on thing above and judging and being discerning. Put to death those things that are earthly. Don't gaze and focus on the earth rise above to the heavens and focus on where God is. That's what Paul is describing, and that's what the psalmist has done. It also is reminiscent of Psalm 119 and verse 37. The author of Psalms is pleading this way with God in prayer, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. He's pleading, the psalmist pleading, help me to take my focus, my eyes away from these worthless things and revive me in your way. Revive my eyes that I might see the Lord. In prayer, there is a lifting up of the eyes from the earthly things to the preoccupation to having faith in the Lord. 
How can we have unshakable faith? By looking to the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says, the goal of the pilgrim is not Jerusalem. As important as the city was, or even the temple in Jerusalem, as important as it was, but what is important is God himself, whose true throne is not anywhere on earth, but it is in heaven. You see, the important thing is not the things of the earth. It is our Lord, our master, our savior. That brings us to the second point, if we look at verse two, and the second point being this, about maintaining unshakable faith is this is we how we look how we look is just as important in maintaining an unshakable faith we can't just say yeah i'm looking to the lord i'm looking to the lord and we drive off a cliff how we look is important it's important how we look at god as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their master the psalm says in in verse 2 Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master. This is a wonderful example. As Pastor Ralph talked about the servant laying low and humbling himself and putting him at the, 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 at the mercy of the master. Here we give another example of a servant and his master. The master is, the servant is, the slave, the servant is looking at his master so intently that as he looks, the, the master just has to raise his hand and the servant comes to the master. The servant knows exactly what the master is up to based on the movements of the hands of the master. This is known in the Orient. Uh, many of the servants in uh, the Orient, they, this is exactly what they do. They would have hand signals and all the servants would run to uh, the master and do exactly what he wants based only on hand signals. It's like a butler knowing what the master of the house wants by simply just watching intently. Do we look at the master that way? Are we gazing at God through the word of God, looking in prayer to God in such a way that we see his signals, that we understand what he wants? Um, the picture of the servant looking to the hand of the master suggests at least three things. You can write these three things down, and then I'll, I'll, I'll explain that. And that is dependence. He's looking at the master in dependence. He's also looking at the master in full submission and also in discipline. Looking intently at the master's hand is about dependence, submission, and discipline. As a servant looks in dependence, He's looking at the hand of the master, which provides all that the servant needs. He's recognizing that the master will provide everything that he needs, not only independence, but submission. The hand of the master directs the servant's work. The, ma the, the, the servant has to be submissive in order to look correctly in a way that he is directed by the master. We will not get the proper direction from God if we're not being looking in an act of submission. Many people just sit and look at God or they hear God's word, and, but their, their heart is not submissive. So they don't actually see God. They don't respond to God. It takes a faith of submission. It also takes, it talks about discipline. 
The hand of the master is what corrects the servant. When the servant is following orders but doesn't understand them correctly, the, the master disciplines him not to ridicule him but to train him. And in our life, and as we do something wrong in our life, God uses his word to discipline us, to train us, to show us what we did that was wrong so we can do what is right, to train us in holiness. Uh, theologian um, G. Campbell Morgan said, here and then is the true way of looking for help from Jehovah Jireh. It is that of dependence, obedience, and a response to his correction. Spurgeon also said, creation, providence, and grace, these all are motions of Jehovah's hand and from each of them, a portion of our duty is to be learned. Therefore, we should be careful to study them, to discover God's divine will. Too many times we act in our own way, by our own will, and we fail to wait for the Lord. Did you notice at the end of verse 2, it talks about, So our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy upon us. We need to learn for the Lord to, to gaze upon the Lord until he acts, until he has mercy on us. This is how long the psalmist uh, focuses on God's attention until God will have mercy on him. This brings us to the third and last point, and that is this. The importance of prayer rather than seeing the ridicule of the unbelieving world. Did you notice in the beginning that the psalmist is looking to the Lord? He's not looking at a circumstance. He's not focused on all that. But he is waiting for God's mercy to be poured out on him because he's under ridicule and, and he's tired of all the persecution that is going on around us. It doesn't mean that you don't know that the ridicule is there. It doesn't mean that you understand that it is there. But if we are going to have unshakable faith, we need to see the importance of prayer, which leads us to God's mercy, rather than focusing on the ridicule of the unbelieving world. The master he looked at would look, he looked upon the master that would help him. His focus was the master. The focus is the mercy. The psalmist wasn't content to only wait for mercy, but he begged for it. He demonstrated that waiting on the Lord is not a passive thing. He repeated this request multiple times, three times. This shows the intensity of his plea. Nevertheless, the psalmist is filled with the unspoken confidence that the mercy of God will triumph over the contempt of the proud. Mercy includes at least three elements, and it recognizes a need, its motivation to meet the need, and also to take action to meet the specific need. It involves all three of the things. It's like saying the psalmist knows that God sees the need. He psalmist knows, and he's pleading that God would be moved by the need, and he's pleading with God. The psalmist is pleading that he'd be moved to meet their emotional, spiritual need. And he knows that his help only comes from the Lord. We need to understand that in order to maintain unshakable faith, we have to have the right eyes, the right vision. We have to look to the Lord. We have to look at the Lord correctly. How we look matters. 
in, in an act of dependence, in an act of submission, in an act of be willing to allow God to correct us. In applying Psalm 123, in this, I'd just simply say this, in troubled times, we must look upward because God alone controls all things. And as we look upward, it causes us to look inward to realize our need for God's divine mercy and grace. I trust that you would look on the back of your notes and you would read the questions and you'd be honest and and that it would help you grow in your faith because everything we need for faith, life and godliness, is from God's word, in God's word, who reveals God so we can see him clearly and we can wait upon the Lord to act correctly in the life that God has given us right now in all circumstances. As Paul put it this way, it says, my my prize and my goal is to pursue Christ. Will you pursue God through Christ Jesus and honor him in the way you look at him? I guarantee your faith will be unshakable if you look at God correctly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, I pray that we see you clearly as one face to face. Thank you for your spirit that you gave us so that way we can understand you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand who you are. We can understand your direction. I pray that as Pastor Ralph shared last week, that we would trust you with all our heart, that we would lean not on our own, that we wouldn't lean on our own understanding in all our ways, that we would acknowledge you. And that through that, our faith would be unshaken. So, Lord, we thank you for our time together. We look forward to a time as a church body when we come back together so we can praise you and glorify you amongst our neighbors. In the neighborhoods, we can lift you high. In Jesus' name we pray.